This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. If you're going to cross a border, you're going to have to deal with customs officials. It's simply unavoidable. But you may be surprised at some of the things they're looking for. It may not be what you think. Coming up, we've got a former customs agent with over 20 years experience. He's going to give us the insider's view into the mindset of the customs agent, what they're looking for. He's got some tips, advice, and best practices to help you on your next crossing. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Breeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lamphere. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schmuck. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rush. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeVell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Google Tech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com Border crossings can be full of tension, apprehension, and even fear. But with some understanding of what is involved and following some good advice, border crossings can run a whole lot smoother and, in many cases, add to your trip and add to your experience of the whole adventure. Peter Sweetser spent 20 years working as a customs agent in the UK. And during that time, he worked in all aspects of customs, including working alongside other customs agencies from around the world. For the last 10 years, he was working as a special investigator for anti-narcotic oils and international liaison teams. 
And back in 2000 and 2001, Peter and his wife Michelle drove their Land Rover Defender from London to Malaysia and then across the U.S. Peter now lives in the U.S. He is a a fellow of the Royal Geographic Society and spends his spare time teaching travelers best practices for international border crossings, as well as doing some consulting for international expeditions for their travel logistics. I'm Pete Sweetser. I live in Tampa, Florida, and I'm a former customs agent in the UK. Um, Now I work for Land Rover. Pete, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show and and talking about this, because this is something that's um, a bit of a mystery, isn't it? And I think you probably recognize that, working in the industry for so many years. Yeah, um, that's one of the reasons that we started doing the class at Overland Expo, was to take the mystery away from all of that uh, red tape that comes through and um, it's important to, to teach people how to deal with the officialdom and how to get things straight before you actually get there, I think. You spend almost 20 years as a customs officer, all aspects. Your last 10 years as a special investigator doing anti-narcotic, oil, and international liaison work. You did a round-the-world trip in, a, in an ex-Camel Trophy uh, Defender 110 in 2000, 2001 with your wife, Michelle. And also, I, I see you're, you're a, a fellow of the Royal Geographic Society. So you've certainly found your way around, as far as international travel goes, on top of your customs experience. Yeah, it's, um, I guess that's one of the reasons that, again, it's, it's easier for me to explain stuff to people because I've been on both sides of the bench, if you like, and uh, traveled extensively and know what it's like to put together an expedition and know what it's like to have to deal with people that don't speak English or don't speak your language if you're not in English and, uh, you know, the stress that comes along with that. Well, you're also doing consulting work for expeditions. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, basically, again, it's the same thing. It's the, the people want uh, the the idea of traveling around the world or doing something um, difficult, if you like, um, but they don't know where to start. So uh, I get a few calls a year to help people and uh, try and point them in the right direction. And I've done some work with some of the ex-Camel guys as well, um, doing uh, planning for fairly big trips for pretty big company. So um, it works out really nice. I keep my keep my hand in, if you like, as far as uh, what's required. And of course, you're doing a whole uh, program at Overland Expo. Yeah, I do. I do uh, the, the actual live border role plays, um, which have been very well received. And I do uh, borders and bribes, a round table, uh, and some advanced driving training. Basically, the idea is that um, in customs, we're, we're taught um, an advanced way of driving by the police because um, obviously we're doing some some surveillance driving and some more you know high level driving where we've got to be aware of uh, people and and the public in general. Uh, and so we try to teach them, or I try to teach them the uh, the way that we learned, which is just a higher level of thinking, effectively a better lookout. Um, and uh, when you're traveling on the back roads in India and cows and stuff run at you, uh, little kids chasing uh, pot-bellied pigs around, then uh, it's something if you've got a better lookout that it, it's safer for you. I mean, we, we did the whole trip, 36,000 miles, and um, we didn't have 
not one incident, not even a flat tire actually. So um, it, it makes it makes a lot of difference if you're a lot more careful of reading the road and um, reading the threat levels around you as well. Uh, you can react a lot quicker, and it's a lot safer for you and everybody else. You know, I was just going to say the the flat tire. Well, that's that's luck, but but it's not completely luck though, is it? No, it's not. It's it's about like you know. I mean, your your listeners will know this more than probably most of the ADV world. You're, it's all about taking the right path and taking uh, taking a route that's less damaging and less risky on the car. You know, and sometimes it's better to wait and uh, go a bit later on rather than risk the the landslide or something like that. Well, so as far as motorcycle travel goes, if you're planning a trip and you're thinking of crossing some borders, and I guess it wouldn't matter whether you're crossing one or, or a number, um, where do we start? How, how do we start off and, you know, as far as getting it together? Well, the important thing is the research. Um, there's some really good re- resources out there. You know, the hub is really a big one. But uh, at the end of the day, you should also check the embassies. Um, both the country that you're going to and your own embassy in that country. Um, Because there are some peculiarities that perhaps people on the road um, may not even mention, like time changes, uh, where, for example, coming out of Nepal into China, China, the whole country is on Beijing time. So you come out of Nepal and you've got basically an hour to drive the mountain road to get to the Chinese customs before they shut. (laughs) So... Those things are important to find out about and um, and also some of the more nuanced regulations. Um, I mean, we all know simple visa, passport, carnet or temporary input permit, but there may be, you know, some special permits required coming out of like India into Burma, for example, go through Sikkim. There, there's... There's stuff that you really need to know about, and the, the best way to find out is the actual embassy, and that's they're going to give you the right information. Just because one guy on a bike or a car got through by blagging his way through doesn't mean you're going to. that's going to happen to you. You're going to be able to do that. You're going to need to know the right information, and it helps you. Uh, you know, We like to say you've got to be persistent um, when you get to a border. So if you know the real regulations and the real rules um, – then it's a lot easier to not succumb to bribes or any nonsense, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's where to start is really just basically contact the tourism organization, just a general consular office in your for your embassy in that country too. They'll give you some much more up-to-date information. And you mentioned the hub. That's for looking at people's experience. That's Horizons Unlimited. Yeah, I mean, there is nothing better than the guy coming the other way down the road and uh, usually these days there i mean when i was doing my trip it, we, even though it's only a few years ago um you know internet wasn't quite as um prevalent as it is now of course everything's so easy um but yeah the guy coming the other way he's going to be posting it on the hub or one of the other forums out there and that that's the way to find out there's a couple of facebook uh, pages as well that i keep up with uh, like the pan am travelers or overland in asia overland in africa and they have guys out there right now and they're asking questions and you know you can you can learn from them and their mistakes and, and if if they make any 
are the border in your experience are, are the borders fairly consistent in the way they work because you mentioned there just because one person gets through um, doesn't mean that everyone's going to get through and, and I think that sort of says that for a lot of things even when you're looking at dangerous areas one person can go through and say oh, I made it fine but it doesn't mean it's safe but in, in your experience are they operating the same or is it sort of um, are some borders uh, completely different from one day to the next depending on who's working it depends on the nationality of the of the country going but generally you've got to understand that customs agents are not there um really for what everybody thinks they're there for with you know drugs and stuff they're there to collect money for the government that's their role as as an excise gathering agency and you're rocking up to the border and your motorbike with everything hanging off of it that's that's a cost to them that's a taxable item that is going into their country i mean um, egypt south africa they got huge taxes on cars and motorbikes in India as well. Um, and that's what they're looking at. They're not looking at, you know, a disheveled guy who spent eight hours going through the Baluchi desert and is full of dust. They're looking at how much that bike is, how much that car is, and um, what the risk is to their revenue. And are you going to export it? Or are you going to try and sell it? So there's some more officious than others. Um, as with everything, it's, it depends on the day. You know, it's you get a good doctor one day, you get a good a good nurse one day, and sometimes there might be other issues. It's just the same as everybody. You know, we all have our good days and our bad days, but generally the rules are the same, uh, and it's protect the tax of the country that you're going into. And there's some countries that will actually aim to collect that tax, and if you don't pay, um, they'll turn off the lights of the embassies, <laughs> you know, and they'll start complaining to the, you know, World Bank. So it's some for some countries it's very very important that tax collection and so you are you are a heavy risk to them. So should you change your mindset as you're approaching the border? I mean, should your mindset be a certain way to sort of assist yourself getting through? Yeah, um, we we uh, we like to say that there's five P's when you're going up to a border. Uh, you have to be presentable. Obviously, that's a little harder on a motorbike. Um, but yeah, I mean, try try to brush down your your jackets and stuff if you're on a bike and, you know, raise your, raise your visor as quick as you can and smile. So, you know, be presentable uh, is the first one. Prepare the night before, get all your stuff that you're going to need that you know about out of the deep storage places on your bike. Um, make sure that you've got the right amount of money already changed if you can. Um, be professional, make sure you know what you're going to do. Like I said, you've got to do the research first um, and, that's going to make sure that you're aware of what's supposed to go on and it's not going to be a surprise. And don't forget, there's going to be kids and shouting at you for stuff and people asking you to change money and it's going to be complete chaos in some places. But if you're prepared and professional and know what you need, you can go up to the first proper officer and start getting on with it. Uh, and the other thing is to be patient. Don't ever get angry. Um, you know, you're a guest in their country and you really are a representative of your own country too. And you're almost a diplomat. So, you know, smile and, you know, just roll with it. Don't ever get mad about things. Uh, and then uh, the other one is be persistent. Keep going. You, you know what you need to do. You know what it is. And, um, you know, you might just need to find the right guy that's going to help you. So just those five, again, I've got presentable, prepare, and then I have patience and persistence. I think I missed one. Yeah, professional. Be professional. Professional. Do they have to be in order? 
well, no, not really. But, you know, obviously the first impression is the main thing with everything these days. And uh, presentable is the big thing. We used to have a, uh, like a, um, you know, you usually traveling in T-shirts and jeans or shorts or something like that. But we'd have a, a fairly nice shirt and um, to put on and khakis. And we'd ha- we basically had an embassy kit. So we would pop into embassies and be look look the part. And we'd usually wear that going up to a border. We'd never turn up to a border just you know, jeans and tin shirts. And it sets the tone. It sets the tone to the guy at the other side that you're there and you know what you're about. And there's a lot to be said for that first 10 seconds of, uh, you know, impression. I think some people have the idea that if they go up looking grubby and disheveled, that they're somehow going to be treated with a, a softer hand entering. But clearly what you're saying is, I mean, they're going to look at the bike right away. I mean, and most people are riding very expensive bikes. They're going to look at the bike and know automatically. I mean, I guess any bike really in some countries is going to look like it's worth a fortune. So you're not going to get around that. No, you're not. I mean, a lot of countries, they have those cheap um, Chinese knockoff Honda things. And, uh, you know, you're rocking up there on a, GS 1200 or something and yeah or a big Land Rover or a big Toyota then that's probably more money than they've seen in their lifetime and it's the same with everything if you're dealing with somebody who looks like they don't wash <laughs> you have a certain opinion of them yeah exactly you know it's you've got to you as I said you are representing your nation so if you turn up there all disheveled and you know not washed in three days I mean sometimes that's unavoidable but um make the effort, do a little bit, tidy up a little bit, and it'll go a long way. So we research before we go. We, we try and learn the rules so we know what we're dealing with, and, and we have the five Ps. Anything else for getting it together? Well, attitude is the big one, isn't it? I mean, again, like I said, you've got to be patient, but definitely don't get angry. You, you know, you're handing over – you've got to hand over the real documents, at a border. It's a totally different than an inland checkpoint. Uh, you can get away with handing over, you know, international driver's permits as opposed to your real driving license and um, stuff like that. But at, at a border, you are going to have to hand over the real documents to somebody. So make sure that, uh, you know, you're confident and that you know what you're doing. Are there any problems by handing, with handing over the real documents? I mean, people talk about uh, duplicating them all the time and using duplicates. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely duplicate everything. I mean, these days you can copy it and put it on your phone, but, um, you know, photocopies of stuff is always invaluable, particularly if it gets lost. You know, then you can go to the embassy and show them your real stuff and get it reissued. Um, But I would only ever hand over, you know, like the international driver's permit is actually a legal document, but it's not your real driver's license, right? Sure. So, So hand over that one to start with. Um, until you're confident that it's a real checkpoint. Um, but at the border, you've got really no choice. You're going to have to hand over your passport to the immigration officer. You're going to have to hand over the carnet um, to, uh, and maybe even vehicle documents of some description to the, the guy getting a Trempe import permit. So you're going to have to hand over the real things at some point to somebody, and that will be at a border. Should you be worried about doing that? Not at the border, I don't think. Um, no, inland for sure, I would be a little more circumspect because there could be, um, you know, like in Mexico, there's all the the um, police checkpoints that they have and the federales and stuff. And that you can pretty much be sure that those are legitimate checkpoints. But in 
remote India. We we had a, a checkpoint, and it was it turned out to be a legitimate checkpoint, but it looked so hinky, it was ridiculous. We so we handed over copies of everything. You know, the guys are there, no uniform, bamboo pole across the the road. So you start with, you know, don't even hand over anything. <laughs> really, you don't have to. You know. Um, but yeah, th- just have them available, and and that's why I say be prepared uh, the night before going up to a legitimate border, get the real stuff out. Otherwise, just use the copies for everybody else. Now, I want to talk about the carne for a minute. Um, can you just um, ex- explain what the carne is and what it's used for? So the carne effectively is a passport for the vehicle, and. Um, Basically, it's a three-part document. Uh, you get it issued in the U.S. by Boomerang Carnets. Uh, used to be all the automobile clubs do it, but it's not very profitable for them, so they've pretty much all stopped it, apart from ADAC in Germany. Um, but, yeah, they issue them. Uh, you have to have all your original documents to hand over to them to show it's a legitimate vehicle, registered properly, all that good stuff in the home country. Uh, then they'll give you a three-part document. The bottom part gets... Uh, stamped and torn off on entry the second part gets stamped and torn off on exit uh, and you have a counterfoil at the top of the document that uh, that has the in and exit stamp and uh, they should all marry up uh, on the front you have engine numbers vin numbers so you have to make sure they're right and actually when you're applying for one definitely you know don't just send your documents in and get them issued actually get on your hands and knees and check out that the numbers stamped on your bike or your car are the actual ones because you don't want somebody in India, for example, getting on their hands and knees and doing that and uh, it not being right. Mm, because if somebody swapped an engine or something, I mean, who knows? Um, yeah, you could you could have uh, real trouble there. Well, and, that, and it could be just a clerical error, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's not something we don't usually check the engine's engine numbers do we on our on our own cars but the, I, I can tell you right now the indians will and uh, you go to a border and it's 300 percent duty and the numbers don't match they're going to seize your car wow okay well um so what do you need the carnet for i mean you said passport for your vehicle well, why do we need a passport what do they care so again it's it's all about that collection of money so in in a lot of countries, particularly Southeast Asia, in South America, really, that you don't use carnets too much, although you can in some countries, it, it basically secures the tax that is payable on your car. Um, and so uh, you pay a bond with the issuing agency uh, for the maximum amount of tax that is liable on your vehicle, which could be 300% or something like that in South Africa, for example. Um, so they're going to ask you for 300% of the value of your vehicle as a bond. And that then indemnifies them and you when you go into South Africa. If you don't, if you stamp it in and stamp it out, you're all good. Basically, it's a document that shows the customs that, you know, they, they don't have to worry about the taxes. You are going to leave and it's not going to be imported. It'd be a little worrisome giving somebody 300% value of your motorcycle going in, wondering if you're going to be able to collect it all right on the way out. Yeah, exactly. And you can, I mean, there's a lot of places that you can do that. It, that is a legitimate temporary import in most places. You can pay, pay that up front and hope, hope against hope that you'll get it out afterwards. But why bother? You know, you've got it, 
got it in your home country, it's bonded, uh, and just the document basically says the same thing. You just don't have to exchange money. What if you're looking to get a carne and you live in the UK or Australia? So um, Australia is the AAA, Australian Automobile Association. In the UK, it's cars. Um, that's the antique um, car relocation company that's out there. Um, they they issue the carnets. used to be the AA and the RAC, but they stopped. Now, how does it work when you go to buy a carnet, where you go to, to sign up for it? So, um, well, you have to tell them where you're going, and you have to tell them how many pages you're going to need. So if you go out of a country, then you go back into that country later, you're going to need two sets of pages for that country. And, of course, that also depends on what visa they will allow you to do. Um, so you give them the whole list of the countries. They look at what the tax is in each of those countries, and they determine the liability that you need to bond with them. Uh, and you can you can pay it, just put it in a bank, or you can get insurance for that bond, uh, and they'll help you through that process. Um, and, of course, they will charge you for issuing that carne. So there's an issue charge, and then they usually have a um, like a, a small fee, I say small, like 500 bucks or something, where they'll give you that back when the completed, correctly completed carne is returned to them. So once you've got your carne, you're going to leave with all the papers you need for each country, and then you're off. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah I mean, you've got to get the visas, of course. That's a different thing. Um, so you have to do all the research on whether you need a... Um, different type of visa, like, for example, a 90-day visa in the U.S. might not work for you. You're going to have to actually get a proper um, visitor's visa, which will be valid for a year, the same as your car is. Um, so you have to look at that. Then multiple entry visas, um, have that already, all your vaccinations, make sure they're up to date. Um, some places need the yellow fever stuff as well, particularly if you've been to Africa. Um, so that's part of the research. Make sure You've got all of that stuff. The car pretty much is, is, I guess, fairly easy. The other stuff you might have to get on the road. You mentioned there's two ways to do the carne. One way would be to put the money in the bank, whatever they determine that you would need, or the other way is to buy the insurance. Is there an advantage or disadvantage to going one way or the other? Well, if you're not very wealthy, then yeah, get the insurance. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's... Yeah, of course. Because it's going to be 300% of the duty of the vehicle. So if your vehicles, and, and they will look at things like, um, you know, the blue book value or the black book value, whatever your national legitimate, you know, what whatever customs uses, they actually they use. Um, and they, they're not going to skimp on the value. They're not going to accept um, you saying that the car is a $5,000 car when you've got, you know, a huge camper conversion on the back of a Land Rover that they know is a $20,000 Land Rover. Sure. So, you know, that they're, they're going to argue the, the the values and make sure the values are right. And so 800, uh, 800% in some countries, 300% in most, you know, you're looking at a significant amount of money that you're going to have to put out of pocket. And certainly I couldn't afford that. So I, I got insurance on insurance effectively and double indemnified myself for that value. Although, again, part of your prepare and be professional is knowing what's required and you are the customs officer when you're turning up at those borders. You've got to make sure that they stamp them in the right places and um, that 
all that st stuff is done properly because if it isn't, then you're liable for the tax in that country and they'll come after you for it. Mm. With the insurance uh, way of doing it, do you still end up having to pay it or, or they're covering it at that point? Well, they're, they're going to cover it. That's that's what your insurance is for. But yeah, I mean, you've got you've got a uh, premium and all that good stuff. So yeah, but that that will cover it if you make a mistake. Um, but at the end of the day, you can travel around the world, get back to the UK or the US or wherever, uh, and you can get what's um, called a bill of sight or a certificate of location. It changes by where you're at. Um, but you have to do that with customs. You can't do that with the police or anybody else. As soon as you turn up at Felixstowe or Newark or wherever it is, you have to make sure that that document is stamped. So if you know somebody's made a mistake somewhere on that carne and you are back home, get the customs to stamp that it is back home and that will clear up all the issues. Uh, okay. Well, that's a good tip because that's what I was going to ask you is that if you mess up in a country, uh, how does that work? But but if you do mess up in a country, let's say for some reason you, you, you do something wrong and the tax is payable in the country, let's say it's your first country that you're going through, you've got a bunch more to do. Is the carne going to be revoked? Are they are they going to say, hey, you know, like in particular, if you've went the insurance route, are they going to say, hey, you, you know, you've spent your quota, you're, you're done now? Um. No, usually you basically you can just you carry on on the trip because of course you can do the bill of sight at the end. So the, that na that country that nation will send a letter to the issuing authority of the carne and say, um, you know, hey, we never got that car out of the country. Um, and you may get an email these days on the road. Back in the day, of course, they wouldn't know till you got back. Um, but you can say, hey, no, the, here's my final completed carne. It was stamped at Newark, uh, and I've got both of my stamps in the thing. It was a clerical error on their part. But at the end of the day, my car is back in the U.S. or the U.K. or wherever. Um, so, And then they'll send a copy of that. The carne issuer will send the, that back to the, the country involved and say, hey, the car's here, and here's the proof. Then you won't be liable. Is there anything else we should know about carnes? Well, what you also should know, particularly with your audience, is if you're in a um, motorhome or something and you have a motorbike hanging off the back of the motorhome, you're going to need a carne for that too. Mm. So it's not just the motorhome or the 4x4 Unimog or whatever it is. If you've got a motorbike hanging off, then the motorbike also has to have a carne. Stay with us. we got a lot more coming up. We're going to take a short break to thank a couple of sponsors to help bring this episode to you. The Red Rock Garage is located in Beaverdale, British Columbia on Highway 33. Now grab a pen to write this down. I'm going to give you that one more time because I want you to remember the name of that town. It's just north of Washington State, has some incredible riding in the area, is definitely a destination for motorcyclists. Now, our friends at the Red Rock Garage run a coffee shop there, and it's described as a small coffee shop with a motorcycle addiction, clearly set up just for us motorcyclists. They've got fuel there, camping, and they even run a B&B, &B, so you don't have to plan much. Just get out your GPS and enter Beaverdell. British Columbia, there in the heart of Beaverdale is the Red Rock Garage on the side of Highway 33. Hey, drop by their website and see what all the fuss is about. Their website is www.redrockgarage.ca. And oh yeah, if you're, if you're into riding back roads and trails, this is definitely your destination.
destination. The Red Rock Garage in Beaverdell, BC. And by the way, when you're talking to them, emailing them, or when you go there, do us a favor and let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That's www.redrockgarage.ca. IMS Products has a complete line of adventure motorcycle pegs for us riders. They've got everything from your smaller, aggressive peg that uh, maybe a, a real hardcore racer uses, right on up to your big, wide platform styles that many adventure riders prefer. Um, you know, a lot goes into the design of a foot peg. You do not want to just rush out and buy a foot peg on price ever. You want to get something that's made quality, that's made for your bike, and made for your style of riding. And one of the, the, the features of the IMS pegs is... Even just if you look at the teeth on the pegs, they've got these the, a method where they use two smaller teeth in place of one tooth. And what that does is it gives you added traction and gives you less wear on your boot. That's just another one of those small design tactics used by IMS that helps them produce a superior peg. I run them on my bike. I absolutely love them. Check out what they've got, www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, be sure to throw a name in there. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Again, www dot imsproducts.com From your experience uh, working as a customs officer, what are the types of things that set off the bells and whistles? So you see the the rider come up with their motorcycle, and um, what are the types of things that would sort of jump out at you? Is I mean, for anything that would cause them hassle or cause them to get flagged to be set aside for further inspection? Well, sometimes it's the you know where they've come from is a big thing, which you can't help. Right, you can't help, but you know there are risks of people coming from certain places and that's part of the role playing that we do too because remember we're in uh, you know we're dealing with motorbikes and cars at expo and so we want them to understand that you know you're coming from southeast asia back to london for example then you have a number of different risks involved doing that route where there's you know human trafficking there's drugs there's money laundering there's war in those sort of places so there's there's a lot of different things that that the guys are going to be looking for based on where you've come from and uh, and your demeanor when you turn up and and then again that goes to be presentable and be be polite be smiling and knowing what you're doing what about dealing with bribes you know that comes up pretty much every single time i've done expo and, and i don't know that i mean i've been on i've been on um panels with Tiffany Coates with Sam, with Lisa Thomas and Simon, and uh, you know, um, we—I've even been on um, with Ted Simon, and I don't think any of us have said that we've paid a, a bribe ever. And it, it's astonishing. Uh, some of the questions sometimes is like, "Well, can I take my gun?" Like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't know what people think sometimes as far as how it is out there but realistically it's not as bad as people make it out to be it's it's a lot of fun and if you look at um for example some of the some of the stuff that the king on the road has been putting out he's in iran right now and driving around and he's having a whale of a time and he's not under threat and yet you know here we are sitting at our desks in america thinking that iran is the the worst place in the world you know 
And he's not a planner either. <laughs> no, he's not. He rocks up to the border and sort of figures it out when he gets there. Yeah, and he's he's having a whale of a time, and and that's that's what traveling and that's what what we do is all about, you know. Uh, and that's part of wh- how we try to to do the classes. Is like, listen, you know, you just got to be be yourself, be polite, just get on with it and have fun with it. You know, we even tell people, look, you know, you got all these people at the border that have asking for money and giving, you know, I'll change your money, I'll change your money. And hey, sometimes give them 20 bucks and have fun with it. You know, just make a, you know, it's not a big deal to lose 20 bucks in the overall scheme of things or 10 or something, but use it and have fun with it and and do change some money. You are going to get ripped off, but you know, at the end of the day, you might make out and it's all how good you are at negotiating, I guess. Uh, But sometimes it's, that's part of the travel is to have some fun with it, you know? And usually those guys that are asking for bribes, you sort of, you can tell and, and you can be patient. You say, Hey, no, I'm, I'll just wait here. Is that the only method? No. Well, you could go a different border, couldn't you? Um, and there's places in Africa right now where there is, there's one particular place in Africa where, um, they've, they've been pretty nasty about, uh, trying to collect money that's not owed. And so, the recommendation is to go through a different border. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, if you've been on the road at, for any time at all, you'll know that particularly on a motorbike, you're going to be driving to the front of a queue of maybe a hundred trucks trying to get through the border. And, and that's where the customs guys are going to be collecting their money with those trucks and that, that normal trade. You're just a guy, you know, either some of them don't want to deal with you and that's why they make it hard. And some of them will just get you through as quick as they can because they got a hundred trucks waiting. Um, so yeah, it's, and, and they'll want, maybe, maybe they'll ask for a bribe to get you through faster. Who knows? But I never, ever had a problem with bribes. And I don't think most of the pretty advanced, uh, you know, people that we all read about every day have really done it either. And that's where your research pays off because you mentioned the border crossing that's sort of got a reputation right now as being a difficult one to get across without being harassed to pay money that you don't owe and shouldn't pay. That's, again, if you research it in advance, you probably find on the hub, people will be talking about that and the, the grapevine brings out the news and then pick another border. Yeah, exactly. Why, why make life difficult for yourself? Right. Um, is there anything else as far as, as um, best practices or, or even... Um, crossing the border that we should know? Yeah. Um, one thing that you should be aware of is the um, monetary uh, requirements. So obviously, we're pretty much worldwide, it's $10,000 um, is the proceeds of crime, effectively. Um, so if you have monetary funds, which is, you know, not only your credit card, but it's, you know, checks, cash itself, or... Um, you know, if you still can get them, the old uh, bank checks that they travelers checks. Mm-hmm. Um, don't try stuffing them all over the place. You know, I I, I did a uh, a thing at the Royal Geographical Society, and somebody said they were going to cut a hole in their chassis and hide all their money and stuff in that. Well, once you start changing the frame of your motor car or your motorbike, then then they're going to start looking more. You know, we had a safe in our car; it was a little toughy box. Um, we sort of, it, it was fairly easy to get to. That's why we kept our, uh, passports and carne and money 
and a spare credit card. And only one boarder actually found it, and it wasn't really that hidden. And so, you know, that's that's the thing to do would be to, um, you know, use a use a safe, do something like that, rather than stuffing stuff into your chassis. You said about the ten thousand dollars. You're saying that if you you exceed that in cash, that it's a crime. If you exceed that, yes, they can take it off you as the proceeds of crime or drug money laundering. Basically, the money laundering regulations. So, and they take the full know. amount then. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and if it's nine hundred ninety-nine thousand, then they're probably still going to do it because it's, <laughs> you know, it's like really seriously. <laughs> so ten thousand dollars in, in, I guess, any currencies. That's that's a common figure. Yeah, it's pretty much the main figure. Yeah. Hmm. And, and you're saying, um, so what about, like, I mean, would you keep all your money in one spot? Because I think everything we've heard on this show to date has been, you know, be careful to spread your stuff out a little bit, you know, tuck stuff away. Do you think that doesn't work? No, no. I think that's on a motorbike. That's a good idea. You know, you don't want everything in one place for sure. Um, you know, I mean, these days you, you can pretty much get cash as you go on, a, you know, the ATMs are pretty much everywhere these days. So it's not quite as it, it was when perhaps Ted Simon was driving around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know, I know motorbikes, it's a little different, you know, you do put stuff down the tubes here and there, but you know, in a car, it's not so much. We used to have a, like a giveaway wallet with a hundred bucks in it, you know, like just as a day to day thing. And most everything else was out of the way and hidden. And that's what I would recommend is have, have something that you can afford to lose and have everything else all over the place. Right. So your traveler's wallet in your pocket sort of thing. That's the first thing that comes out. That's got your things you can dispose of, your credit cards that are expired, um, maybe a driver's license that's copied or expired, those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, there's theft all over the place, isn't there? There's even theft down the street here. You know, it's not, you know, it's not exclusive to traveling. So, you know, you've got to be a little more aware and just make sure that you're, you're safe. You mentioned the modifications and how that's going to um, get them to look further. I guess the same thing with a bike. I mean, if, if you don't hide something really, really well and it's found, it's clear you're hiding things and that's just going to spur on more. Yes, exactly. So that is that is a danger of hiding stuff, isn't it? It's something you have it to is. contemplate. Yeah. And it's again, it's all about how you present yourself and um, whether they're going to think you are hiding stuff around. you got to be Honestly, there's no substitute for being open and honest with with the people involved. If you are trying to do something illicit, then, you know, hey, you get caught, you get caught. If they ask you how much money you're bringing into the country, would you recommend them telling all your money, even the hidden stuff? No. These days, they don't generally ask that. There's very few monetary um, controls these days. It used to be all the time. And, of course, you know, that's something that that was a whole different ball game. But I would, I don't think in in the in the year that we were away and the trips I've done since that I've really been asked how much money I've had in my bag and stuff. And to me, that would these days that would be an alarming question as far as why you want to know that information. Yeah, you know, because it's not required in a lot of places, in most places. And again, that's down to research. Um, but yeah, why, why, why do you want to know that? 
And again, I, I think that goes back to what you said from the start, which I think is excellent. And if you do your research in advance and know what the border crossing is supposed to be asking, what, what you're actually doing there, then at least you can deal with that when it comes up in an appropriate way rather than just blurting something out. Yeah, and blurting something out <laughs> is never a good thing because it leads to um, opening up a can of worms, really, doesn't it? I mean, that, and that's something that we do teach at Expo is just answer the question. Be polite, answer the question. Don't give more than necessary uh, and don't start rambling away because the more you do that, the more you're going to create suspicion, even if there isn't anything there. I think a common thing to do is tell somebody about your travels. Uh, you know, if you, you meet them, you say, oh, I've come from here. That's probably a mistake, isn't it? I mean, are, are you better off to keep your conversations to maybe sort of more common things that are, I don't know, asking about their country, et cetera, rather than talking about yourself? Yeah, unless they ask you. I mean, obviously, they have your passport in front of them and they know where you've been and they're going to ask you, you know, hey, what? how was Syria, you know? When did you go through there and all that sort of stuff? You know, if, they, if it's in your passport, they can read about it. Um, and don't forget, there's all those um, countries where, oh, you don't want to go into that country. Those are terrible people because the, the borders and it's like the English and French have that thing, you know, going on. And there's always that common misbelief that the next countries, the terrible guys, particularly in Africa, they'll tell you, you know, and sat, even we drove through from Hungary to Romania, and it was like, oh, yeah, the Romanians are terrible, you know, and the, the Romanians would say the Hungarians are terrible. So, you know, it, it's one of those <laughs> and things. both are nice. And they're both really great, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, um, if you start if you start getting engaged in that, then, then that's never going to go well. Um, it's always better to learn a little bit of their language, say hello and, and thank you and stuff before you, you know, learn for a couple of days what those sort of things are and be polite. I mean, we sat at the Syrian border drinking tea um, because we, we were just like, you know, had a few words and, you know, salam alaikum and all that sort of stuff. And um, we hung out and it was great. Who would have thought you'd sit at a border and be drinking tea with the agents, right? Yeah. And actually be, be happy to do that. Um, we had lunch with the guys on the Pakistan border too. So those guys, you know, yeah, definitely don't, run your mouth off, but engage in polite conversation. You never know where it's going to lead. Pete, do you have uh, any closing comments, uh, tips, advice for motorcycle travelers looking to cross borders? I think at the end of the day, you've just got to be, you know, like I said, the first thing to do, particularly on a motorbike, is raise your visor and, and, and or take your helmet off if you can, as fast as you can, so that you can be that guy. That, that It's a humanization of of something rather than, you know, when you've got your helmet on, you aren't, you aren't yourself, are you? You're, you're just a, a hidden person behind a mask almost. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, definitely do all the homework and present yourself in a, in a polite professional manner and, um, and have fun with it and you'll be, you'll be fine. Well, I would highly recommend that uh, listeners check out the, the course that you're doing at Overland Expo. Are, are you doing the one of the Overland Expo East that comes up in, I think, in November? Yeah, actually, I'm taking my car there for the first time in like eight years. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. I'll be able to uh, show off my old wrecked Land Rover and uh, hide some stuff in it, I think. We'll, we'll be playing really hard to get this time. Most everybody gets arrested. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's good news. Pete, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing this information with us. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. was ex-customs agent Peter Sweetser from his home in Sarasota, Florida. If you'd like to learn more or attend one of Pete's classes, then make your way over to Overland Expo this November 9 to 11th. Um, That's in Asheville, North Carolina. The website www.overlandexpo.com that'll get you in there and you can look up um, Peter's class that that he does there at it. And of course that link will be in our show notes. I just want to remind you that this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Just in case you happen to hear some car noises or a motorcycle go by, well, it's because we're actually producing this on the road. Anyway, it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Uh, Don't forget, we've got all of our episodes on our website. You can go there and download them all for free. We have another show called ARR Raw that comes out once a month, another show that you need to subscribe separately to. Um, Both of them available on our website at www.adventureriderradio.com. And of course, we have another show if you're into podcasts and you're into something different. We've got a show called Beyond the Shadow. Again, it's available through a link on that website. Uh, Check that out. It's a, a show about mysteries and crime. Oh, wait, one more thing. Um, I don't want to forget to remind you that the show is made up of a a combination sort of built on a model of advertising and listener support. Um, If you'd like to support the show, which we would absolutely love, drop by our website again, adventureriderradio.com forward slash support. Anything $10 or more will get you a sticker sent back at you for your pannier or your tank. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our Raw show. And we would love it if you consider our monthly setup where you sign up for Patreon and you can put any amount there to donate to the show monthly. And we love that because we can actually count on that. So we'd really appreciate it if you do. Well, time to get out there and ride your bike. My name is Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hi, this is Mary McGee, and you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey!